0: Welcome to the Chicago Business Review, where we introduce you to some of the most successful and sharpest minds from my hometown, Chicago, so that you can find out the secrets that have helped these professionals achieve massive success. If you wanna accelerate your growth in your personal and professional life, so that you can do more, have more, give more, and ultimately, Live the life you've always desired, then sit back and stay tuned in because you are in the right place. I'm your host, Young Lee, and you are listening to the Chicago Business Review. Welcome to another episode of the Chicago Business Review. I am so excited for this episode you are going to get so much valuable information that you're gonna wanna take notes for this one. So in this week's episode, we have Jose Ramirez, the founder and chief tax strategist for Advanced Tax Advisors. He is an expert in this field at implementing tax-saving strategies for business owners, landlords, and real estate investors. He's been in the accounting field for over 24 years, and he has started specializing in helping real estate investors and business owners, and now has saved them millions of dollars in tax savings. So without further ado, I want to bring in Jose. Jose, thanks again for making the time to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you inviting me here oh man we're so excited as we mentioned before we got on recording i do real estate investing i know you do real estate investing but we're kind of in the industry i'm a real estate broker uh you're a real estate tax advisor but for people that aren't in real estate or don't know too much about real estate do you think it's still something that is valuable for everyone to invest in real estate or should just the people that specialize in
1: real estate invest in? Real estate? Right. So, I mean, there's there's an additional benefit to those who are already in real estate, such as brokers, you know, landlords, uh, people in the construction, contractors, because they may already qualify for some of the strategies that are around real estate, some of the tax saving strategies. If you already qualify for the real estate professional status, there's some um, hurdles that you you must meet and pass, but once you meet those hurdles, uh, the, the tax strategies are tremendous, right? If you don't qualify for the real estate professional status, there, there are still strategies for you. I always tell my clients, the majority of my clients are gonna be real estate professionals. Uh, and the ones who aren't, I always tell them, you still wanna get into real estate because if you are a business owner, and you may be thinking about buying the commercial space you're in, the, the office space you're in. There's tax strategies around that. So you don't need to qualify for the real estate professional for some of the strategies. Now, the tax strategies are great, right? But in addition to the tax strategies, real estate is always going to appreciate over time. I've never seen real estate go down significantly over time, right? It, I mean, it it always goes up. So all the real estate that I've amassed over the years have increased in value. So there's multiple benefits, right? You, you you got the tax advantages, you got the appreciation of real estate, you got the cash flow component. You know, you you're making money on a monthly basis. And there's another benefit that people don't really talk about, which is the step up in basis. So when you pass on, there's a you can transfer the real estate to your heirs, your kids, your grandkids, whoever it is, uh, depending on the exception that there is that year. But I think right now we're at 12 million you can transfer 12 million and not have to pay any taxes on that transfer so your kids can get it we're, we're getting deep now right your your kids yeah at a step up in basis let's say that <laughs> i'll give you an example right you, you you start with a property let's say you bought a duplex for five hundred thousand. you bought it in 2020. uh 20 years from now 50 years from now you're not here anymore you still have that duplex that duplex transfers over to your kids and depending on what the transfer exception is that year your kids can get it let's say it's valued at five million from 500,000 to five million now your kids get a basis of five million they can sell that property the very next day and not pay any taxes on capital gains because they get a step up in basis right 500,000 they get it at five million there's no tax on that difference so that's one of the benefits people don't really talk about there's there's really multiple benefits to owning real estate That is incredible, man. uh, You already
0: gave so much information right there, and we're going to dive in in more detail to multiple of those things because, frankly, I know I want to know, so there's got to be a lot of listeners that are investing in real estate that would like to know more detail about that. And if you do, Jose runs a free free webinar that you can join we will leave the link in the show notes so please check it out but it's advancedtaxadvisors.net backslash webinar and you can go there sign up and jose does a free webinar to educate you on real estate tax investing and like i said we'll have that link in the show notes but Jose, you have been in the accounting field for almost 25 years, and then you started specializing. I know it's crazy how fast time is going, right? I Even myself, I'm like, I can't believe it's been that long. No. Uh, but then you started specializing in real estate investing and helping investors with their tax strategies to save them money why the transition to specialize in real estate investing
1: oh wow that's kind of a long story but um in short i have been a real estate investor since 2003 and uh for those of us who have been in real estate that long uh you remember 2008 right so i was at the time in 2008 i wasn't a tax expert yet i was um I was a financial controller. You know I was financial accountant a controller. I worked for a public traded company. I did, I did SEC filings, audited financials, you know, I, I managed businesses ranging from 5 million to 100 million. I talk about this in detail in my webinars. Um and I you know, I worked for a CPA firm in Miami for a while. And then once 2008 happened, I ended up uh having to get back a property to, to a bank, to one of the banks. Right. I, I ended up uh, doing a deal in lieu of foreclosure is what it's called. And when I did that, long story short, I got a 1099 from the bank. My tax advisor at the time was a generalist, didn't really specialize in real estate. So he didn't know what he was doing. He ended up uh, telling me that I was going to owe about $68,000 in taxes. So I went and got a second opinion from a tax strategist colleague that I knew. And, um, you know, first he told me to relax, breathe, right? Cause that's not gonna, you're not gonna end up paying the $68,000. He was like, uh, well, you know, Jose, you, you lost money in this deal, so why should you be paying taxes, right? It's just not, it's not reported correctly. Uh, so it's, he explained to me the code, the tax code. This was back, uh, this was around 2000, and because 2008 dragged for a few years, right? That's so true. this was around 2012. And once he was able to do that, he ended up getting me a refund, right? When he was able to do that i i was hooked i was like what did you do and how did you do it you know teach me more what what is it that i'm not looking at and being an accountant i've been an accountant my whole life right i and not knowing this i was like okay i'm missing a big piece of the field i need to learn taxation and that's when i transitioned to taxation i got mentored by tax attorneys you know 10 years later you know i'm i'm doing conferences on I'm teaching people how to do these tax planning. I'm teaching other EA CPAs, and other professionals in the inter- industry how to do this um, at, at conferences, right? So it's pretty yeah. cool. The journey has been amazing. The journey has been uh, uh, a long learning journey because taxation is not easy, taxation is hard. Uh, but once you understand the code and you understand how to implement these strategies, the benefits are tremendous.
0: Yeah, and that's why I was so excited that you agreed to come on the show because you are one of the premier experts in this field of tax strategy, which is so different than just general accounting. And so if you are investing in real estate, make sure you reach out to Jose and his team or sign up for that webinar so you get some education. But we're going to educate you here on this show as well. So You said that it's beneficial even for people that are not in real estate. But for the novice who's thinking about getting into real estate investing, or maybe somebody has already gotten into real estate investing, uh, what do you suggest is the best way to structure the entity? Should they buy it in their own name? Should they set up a company, an LLC, uh, an S-Corp? Like, what are you recommending to your clients in terms of setting up a structure uh, to start investing in real estate? Yeah,
1: no, that's a great question. So I always tell my clients, and if you guys remember nothing from this episode, remember this, you always want to separate the activities, right? So real estate can be either a passive activity, by default, renting real estate is passive, uh, or it could be non-passive. Depending if you're engaged in an act in an actual business, ordinary trader business. I'll give you an example. You are a real estate investor who flips property. You buy property or you wholesale property, you fix it up, you flip it. That is a trade or business. That is subject to self-employment tax, is not a passive activity. So you may want to do that business under an LLC tax as an S corp, S corporation, right? Because that's going to save you some taxes and self-employment tax. Now, if you are a landlord, you never want to do this activity in an S corporation for multiple reasons, right? It's a lot harder to take property in and out of the LLC once it's been converted to an S corporation. And the IRS doesn't like, you know, S corporations to have more than 25% of their gross income come from passive activities anyway. So you don't, you don't want to be in that in that position for multiple reasons, because that creates tax implications. So you always want to separate the the landlording, right? If you're a landlord, keep your assets under one LLC, tax as a either a partnership or a sole proprietorship depending on what the circumstances are. And then your flipping business or brokerage or construction business, whatever business that you're into, you you want to have it in a separate entity away from the assets, all right? It's a way to separate the assets from the the active business as well. So you got multiple reasons, you know, tax reasons, uh, separation reasons, uh, it's just neater as well. I mean, that's just multiple reasons. But if you remember anything, remember this. Never mix your passive activity with your active business. Do
0: okay so for myself, being a real estate broker, I should not also hold my portfolio of long-term rentals in the same LLC as My operating business, you're saying, right? Okay, so keep those entities completely separate.
1: Uh, Why? Well, I mean, primarily, uh, well, for tax reasons, right? For yeah, there there are two separate activities. One of them, so your your rentals are going to be passive, Uh uh-huh. Like I said earlier, passive versus ordinary income. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to mix the two because if you are over here doing business with the public. And something happens to that business. Now your your assets are exposed, right? You want to have it in a separate separate entity. Now I'm not an attorney, so I can't give you legal advice. I'm just giving you the tax perspective, right? The tax perspective is that the IRS doesn't like having uh, doesn't like ha- S corporations having more than 25 percent of their passive uh, their income coming from passive activities. When that happens, I believe it's like three years in a row, they can terminate your S corporation election. And if they do, it creates a headache for you, the business owner, because now you have to do liquidation of assets. And when you liquidate the assets, you're paying capital gains on all those assets that the S corporation had. Oh my goodness. But yeah. Those are being distributed to the owner. So you, you don't want to put yourself in, in that position, right? You want to separate the the passive from the, the active business, the ordinary income uh, business. Um, now, another reason is, I mean, this is just for you guys to 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 know it's it's a lot it's a lot easier to transfer property back and forth from an llc there's taxes from sole proprietorship or partnership. it's a lot harder to move property back and forth from an s corporation because when you transfer property out of an s corporation a lot of people think oh but it's jose it's my s corporation so why does it matter if i transfer it out or not well it matters right because now the property belongs to the s corporation and if there's a gain on that property the market value went up you have to pay capital gains on that difference between your basis and the, the new value of that property so that doesn't happen with the llc right the s corporations have a different tax treatment gotcha got you, i mean there's there's some technicalities there right there's ah. a lot of things to, to consider when transferring that's why i always tell my clients before you do anything let's have a conversation because anything that you do could potentially have a tax implication I love that people sometimes they just do things and they, at the end of the year, they tell you what they did. They're like, oh, okay. Well, did you know you're going to pay taxes on that now? because you're- <laughs> Yeah. It's always smart to have a conversation with your advisor before you start moving things around. And we're going to
0: definitely have all of Jose's contact information so you can reach out to him before you go down this path. Or even if you did try to have a conversation as soon as possible. So he can advise you the best way moving forward because he just told you, separate the passive from non-passive. And that's something that I'm definitely going to do moving forward. Now, you had also touched upon um, what is the main difference between capital gains and ordinary income?
1: Yeah. So capital gains income is, um, depending on if it's uh, long-term or short-term, long-term Capital gains have a, a favorable tax rate. It could be anywhere from zero to 23.8, 20% really, but there's an additional tax depending on your income. And ordinary incomes, uh, ordinary income is taxed up to 37%, so it's a lot higher, right? So if you qualify for capital gains, it's always more advantageous to use the capital gains rate. Hmm.
0: That's, yeah. No, that's incredibly helpful because I yeah. feel like a lot of people don't necessarily understand that concept I know we kind of went high level really early on. So I wanted to kind of bring it back, even for people that might just own a property or one investment property and they were looking to sell it. You were talking something about a basis and you were mentioning it even in the beginning in terms of resetting that. What what does that term even mean for- Yeah,
1: sure. So to break down basis, uh, think of it as the- what you paid for the asset right what you paid for the asset plus any uh improvements that you made to the asset any additional improvements or any additional expenses that you had for the asset before it was placed in service so basis would be for instance you buy let's go back to the example of the duplex for 500000 you bought a duplex for 500000 plus closing costs then you put into it an additional 50000 in renovations now, your basis is 500,000 plus your closing costs plus the 50,000 in renovations. So let's just assume the closing costs were 15,000. So you're 500, 15, 50, you're 5, 6, 565, right? Mm-hmm. That's your basis. Now, normally, if you are renting that duplex out, you're going to depreciate that property if it's residential over 27 and a half years. Now you have to determine how much the land value out of the 565 is. So you're going to take the land value deducted from a 565 because land is not depreciable. Something to keep in mind for you landlords out there, never depreciate land because it's not depreciable. Right. That's right. But let's, let's just say that the land value, is valued at, um, I don't know, 100,000. So now you're left with 465,000 in depreciable basis, right? Divide that by 27 and a half years. That's the amount that you get on the yearly basis that you can expense. It's a non-out-of-pocket expense. It's a non-cash expense that you can take on the yearly basis uh, to, to offset your rental income or any other, uh, depending if you qualify, any other income that you you may have. So, So that's basis, right? So yeah. you track your basis because eventually if you ever sell the property, you need to know what your basis is at the time of the sale. So if your basis is $500,000 and you sold it for a million, now you know you have a $500,000 basis, so you're not going to pay taxes on the first $500,000, but you will pay taxes on the difference between the basis and the sale price, right? So that's why it's important to track your basis, and that's usually tracked on your tax return, but it's not a bad idea to track it separately as well. Okay. No, that's incredibly helpful. I feel like valuable to the listener
0: who's just getting started. Now, what if... During the time that you own that uh, duplex that we were talking about for five hundred grand, and you said you put in fifty initially to get it, you know, up to market standards, yep. um, and then you owned it for let's say ten years, and in that ten years you're depreciating it uh, over, you know, one twenty one twenty seven point five uh, yep. a year, and then. You're in, you invested, let's say, another 50000 in year five. Does your basis change, or does it stay based upon what the initial investment
1: was? Yeah, no, it changes because you've already reduced your basis by taking depreciation every year, right? And by the way, depreciation is not a choice. You have to take depreciation. So the IRS, when you sell the property, they're going to ask you, how much did you take in depreciation, or how much should you have taken in depreciation, because we have to recapture that depreciation. In other words, words, pay that back to the IRS, whatever deductions you got. Uh, So that adjusts your basis, right? The the depreciation is going to reduce your basis and you pay that back at a lower rate. So it's usually still beneficial. It's capped depending on the asset, but residential property is capped at 25%. So if over the years you've gotten a tax advantage because you were at a higher tax rate, let's say you were at 35%, at a 35% tax rate. And uh, if you depreciate it, you've gotten the benefit of depreciating and saving 35% on that depreciation. Later, you sell that property, you have to pay back that depreciation at the max of 25%. So you're still up, right? Even if you have to pay it back, you're still up 10%. Okay. Um, So yeah, your basis gets adjusted depending on what, what goes on, how much money you put into the property over the years and how much you take in depreciation.
0: Okay. So the depreciation though, if you do sell it later on, Um, they do recapture that. And so we're going to go into that a little bit further, Um, but I wanted to kind of get that set up so that people understand that. Now, you were mentioning about benefits for real estate professionals. So can you elaborate first on what qualifies as a real estate professional with the IRS?
1: Yeah, so by default, uh, real estate rentals are always going to be uh, passive activities, right? That's according to the, the IRS code, section 469. There are some exceptions to the passive activity where you can make them non-passive. The, one of the exceptions is when you qualify for the real estate professional status. We'll talk about two. The real estate professional status is a good one. If you are in real estate more than 750 hours a year, and the majority of your personal service time is spent in real estate right and there are 11 categories that the irs listed that you can qualify for that you the the actual industry that you can be in i have a list right here i'll read them to you it's uh, real estate property development redevelopment construction reconstruction acquisition conversion rental operation management leasing and brokerage all these categories qualify for real estate the real estate industry right so if you have more than 750 hours in, the, in this category, in any of these categories, and the majority of your time, 51% or more is spent in real estate, then you qualify for the real estate professional status. What does the real estate professional status do? It removes any limitations. So it removes the limitations of having to, um, as long as you're participate in the activity of the management of the properties that you're trying to depreciate, When you have a loss, normally real estate landlords are going to generate losses from their rentals, right? Because of depreciation. If you have a loss, that loss is limited to $25,000. You can only apply up to $25,000 to your ordinary income if you have ordinary income. And as long as your income is under $150,000 a year. So there's a limitations, right? If If you don't qualify to take the losses and apply them towards your ordinary income, they just get suspended. They get locked in this bucket for you to use for, in the future to apply the losses to other passive income you may have in the future, right? So we don't want that, right? We don't want to lock those losses. We want to use those losses. So to be able to use those losses, if you qualify for the real estate professional status with the two quantitative tests that we just mentioned, the 750 hours and the 50, more than 50% in real estate, now you have to materially participate in the, in the rental activity, right? Managing the property. If you meet one of the tests, now we're getting technical here, right? And I don't want to put yeah. your audience to sleep. But if you meet one of the tests, um, we can eliminate the $25,000 loss limitation. Any losses that you have from the rentals can be applied towards your ordinary income. So for example, if your your brokerage is producing, is netting you $500,000 here a year, and you have multiple real estate properties that are netting you a, a negative $500,000 here for argument's sake, and you qualify for the strategy, you're a real estate professional and you materially participated in all the activities here for the rentals. Now you net the two, there's no limitations. You net the two, how much you're paying in taxes. Right? zero. Oh, yeah. Exactly, $500,000 in income here and $500,000 in losses here. You net the two, you have zero income. If you qualify, you pay no taxes. So that's how powerful real estate is, right? The key thing is you have to track your time because uh, if, people, if somebody gets audited, you have to make sure that you can prove that you spent the time that you said you did uh, in the material participation and as a real estate professional status. So keeping a log is going to be important. Tracking your time you know, with your daily activity is going to be important in an, in an event of an audit. But you can see how powerful this is, right? Now, there is a, a second way to use your losses, your passive losses, and ele- elevate them to non-passive losses. And you don't have to qualify for the real estate professional status. This is by doing short-term rentals. So, if you do short-term rentals the rule says that if you your average customer stay is seven days or less and you materially participate in the management of the the property now there are seven tests you you only have to meet one of the tests if you meet one of the tests um you don't have to uh meet the the real estate professional status uh test you can just you automatically qualify to elevate the losses to non-passive losses so you can apply them towards your ordinary income um the second one is going to be so the seven days or less and then there's also a 30 days or less but then you have to have significant services uh hotel-like services to to qualify and you materially participate so there are a lot of strategy that's these are just two strategies there's, there's, yeah but th- these are all very technical and and it's on a case-by-case basis you could be a real estate professional and not qualify for the strategy. really oh yeah you could because you you may not materially participate on the rental activity so you may you may have enough time as a broker Uh uh-huh well you meet you have a thousand hours two thousand hours a year brokering deals Uh and the majority of your time is spent in real estate but guess what maybe you didn't you didn't put enough time in your rentals right there's a 500 hour rule there's another 100 hour rule if you don't have enough time in your rentals then that means that you didn't materially participate in the activity so you have to make sure that you're tracking your time in the multiple Areas of real estate to qualify for the strategies. So, so let we'll assume you automatically qualify, guys. I mean, it, okay. It, it's, yeah. And then you track your time to make sure that you do. So what about like the
0: investors that are in the business? So they have to manage their own properties. They can't hire a property manager if they want
1: these additional tax benefits. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, they, they, ch- they can. They could have a, a manager uh, managing the property, but the property management company cannot have more time than you. Or, you know, or y- you have to look at it. There are seven tests, right? Two of the tests come to mind. The, one of them is you have 500 hours a year managing the property, and it doesn't matter how many people are involved. You, the management company can be involved. It doesn't matter. As long as you meet the 500 hour 500-hour uh, rule, then you're fine, but it's hard to get 500 hours for one rental. I mean, you don't need that much time. Yeah, one rental. Okay. So there's a there's another way of doing it. You can group the activities. So let's just say that you have 10 rentals, and you say, Jose, well, I, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. I can't do 500 hours a year per rental. So mm-hmm. what we can do is group them into one activity. So now we can spend 500 hours in the 10 properties combined, and by grouping them, it makes it easier to qualify, right? The second test that comes to mind is the hundred hours and nobody else can have more time than you so if you have a hundred hours a year and uh you know materially participating you know in the activity and nobody else has more time than you that's an easier test to meet but the the hurdle there is that you have to track other people's times so let's just say on the example of a an airbnb or short-term rental if you hire a a housekeeper a cleaner you you have to know how many hours she's spending a year to make sure that she doesn't have more time than you, right? Hmm. So it's a little harder in that sense. It's easier to meet hours wise, but it's harder in the sense that you have to track the time for everybody that's involved in that business. Gotcha. Okay. So, little nuances, a lot of technicalities, but you know the strategies are there. You just have to make sure you qualify. So, can somebody who is a real estate professional
0: like? start qualifying for these tax benefits with their first property? Like, is there a way for them to qualify for that? And if so, like, what are the things that they would need to do activities wise, um, to
1: accumulate those hours? Yeah, it would be anything relating to the management, the, the management of the property, right? Um, whether it's um, meeting with your contractors, or even if you're doing the work yourself, I mean, ideally, if you could do the work yourself, now you're eliminating any third parties, right? Yeah. Now, all the time belongs to you, so there's no, there's it's very hard to dispute that now because you're you're tracking your time that you did everything. You uh-huh. you, you replaced the toilet, you painted the house, you did some repairs, um, so all the time is yours. Um, now then you just have to look at the material participation tests, right? There are seven tests and see which one you qualify for.
0: Interesting.
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's extremely
0: valuable and helpful. So I know people are going to be listening to this one more than once because there's so much information in this episode. And as you guys can see, Jose is a premier expert in tax strategy for real estate investors. So please sign up for that webinar or reach out to him. We're going to have his contact information here in the show notes. But uh, I did want to touch upon um, depreciation. So I know there are some benefits in terms of maybe accelerating that depreciation. If you are that real estate
1: professional status, can you share a little bit more
0: upon that?
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked that because I, I totally forgot to mention that. So accelerating depreciation and taking bonus depreciation is a great benefit. So up until so the new law, the Trump's Cuts and Jobs Act back in 2017, uh, chased bonus depreciation to 100% from 50%, right? Uh, from 20, the end of 2017 through 2022. So 2022 was the last year that we can take 100% bonus depreciation on certain assets, qualified assets. 2023, it changed to 80%, still good, but not, you know, not as good as a hundred. Now, why do we want to know what qualifies for bonus appreciation? Because if we know what qualifies for bonus appreciation, now we don't have to wait the 27 and a half years to depreciate that property. We can take the whole chunk of it in the year you placed, you bought the asset or placed it in service and placed it in service, right? So when you, I, I always talk about this in my webinars. So when you go, to, when you buy a duplex, the same scenario of that duplex, when you go to the closing table, all you're getting is a piece of paper called the HUD and the HUD is only how much you pay for the property. It doesn't tell you what the land value is. It doesn't tell you what the kitchen cabinet's value is, the, you know, the appliances, the, the roof, the windows, the doors, you don't know any of that, right? All you know is that you bought the property for 500000 so in order to identify the components within the property, to see if they, to identify the the components that are qualified for bonus depreciation, you have to do what's called a cost segregation study on the property. Now, by doing a cost segregation study on the property, you know, you're gonna get some engineers to look at your property, assign values to the, uh, the kitchen cabinets, the countertops, the appliances, the roofs, the windows, the doors. So each component within the property now has a value that makes up that five hundred thousand dollars that you you pay for the property. Okay. So now you have a list of the five-year property, 15-year property, 27 and a half-year property. And any property that the IRS considers 20-year property or less qualifies for balls appreciation. So Uh, Again, I'm getting technical, but 20 years or less is is bonus depreciation. So let's say that the $500,000 property, we were able to identify $100,000 in 20 year or less property, which qualifies for bonus depreciation. Well, guess what? Now you can take that bonus depreciation, the year that you place that property in service. So now you automatically have $100,000 of a deduction the first year, which can be used if you qualify, you know, if you qualify for the strategy, it can be used towards your brokerage income or your other, um, you know, other real estate income, your flipping income, your wholesaling income, right? So very powerful, right? And it's very easy to do. All you have to do is keep buying property every year, keep buying real estate. That's why real estate is so powerful. I mean, a a lot of landlords pay very little tax or no tax at all, because what do they do? They they know that real estate appreciates over time. They know that real estate is gonna give them a tax advantage. So instead of, overpaying in taxes every year they're just taking that money and buying more property right so when i meet with my clients usually around tax planning season is around november october november december at latest and uh, we have a a conversation right well the conversation will go like this all right joe so you're gonna owe an additional seventy thousand dollars in taxes would you rather take that seventy thousand dollars and pay the irs or Would you want to take that seventy thousand dollars and buy another duplex, fourplex, sixplex, whatever the case is, put it as a down payment, so we can reduce that seventy thousand to maybe twenty thousand? I don't know. I'm just making up numbers. Uh huh. Yeah. But guess what? The answer is always going to be, yeah. Uh-huh. Let's let's. I'm going to find a duplex before the year ends, and I'm going to place it in service. Right. Yeah. I'm going to do a cost segregation, depreciate the crap out of it, and and reduce my tax liability. So that's kind of the the game, right? Real estate is very powerful. It's one of the, my favorite industries, because of that reason, you can kind of control. Um, you can control your taxes by planning. You can always plan. Hey, I'm gonna have a. i am going to have I had a pretty good year this year. I'm gonna have a big tax bill. Why don't I buy some buildings? You know, put a down payment on buildings, and you can leverage this, right? You don't. You don't need to have a million dollars to buy a building. You just need, you know, 20 percent, right? And yeah, the rest comes from a, a bank, but you still get the tax benefit from it. That's incredible. Yeah. And uh, yes, uh,
0: I knew this, but I think that there's so many people out there that are not aware of this. But again, we want to clarify that is for people that have real estate professional status, correct, Jose? Yeah, for this strategy, it would be real estate professional or short-term rentals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. Or short-term rentals, which is another great strategy that you can implement if you are not a full-time real estate professional. Yeah. So uh, the cost segregation study, I hope people remember that the bonus depreciation is such a powerful tool. Uh, I know some people are going to ask, so what happens like if you showed income and therefore um, you owed a hundred grand, but then you were able to use that depreciation to wipe out that hundred thousand does that then take away from your documented income, and will that impact
1: your ability to purchase the next property? How does yeah. that work? Yeah, that's a very common concern. I mean, that's really a banking question. But my understanding is that when it's happened to me, I I know that uh, most lenders will add back the depreciation because they understand that it's not a a real expense, right? And it depends on the bank. I mean, yeah, it depends on the bank, that but. Makes, uh, Yeah, I don't think a
0: big of a deal to to worry about. Yeah, great. No, because I'm like, I'm sure people are like, well, if I write all of that off, now I'm going to show that I have no income and how am I going to buy the next property? So you were talking about the depreciation. If you do take that depreciation, it affects the basis of that property. So if you sell that property and you don't reinvest it into... Another asset through a 1031 exchange, you then pay taxes on the new basis with the depreciation already having been taken out. Now, if you do not sell that property ever and then you pass that down, that basis resets to whatever the current value is.
1: I love where you're going with this. Yo, this is great. So, if you never sell, which is uh-huh. the ideal situation for any real estate investor, the idea is to accumulate as much real estate as you can, amass as much real estate as you can over your lifetime. Never sell it because there's no, I mean, it appreciates, right? Real yep. appreciates. If you need money, you can just get a loan on it. Uh huh. There's no tax on loans. You're not paying taxes when you get a loan, right? So, it appreciates over time and you're collecting all this money because eventually you're going to pay off the property there's not going to be a mortgage on it so all that cash flow is just going to you directly if you sell it you pay capital gains on it if you keep it forever and your heirs get it your kids get it your grandkids get it there's going to be that step up in basis right now when i when we started we mentioned a little bit about the exception being 12 million yeah it's like it changes with every president so it is 12 million now it could be different in the future but what that means is that you can transfer assets when you pass on, you can gift assets when you pass on or you know, just transfer them through your estate and not pay any taxes on the transfer for up to 12 million, 12 million change, right? Yeah. So if you've amassed, uh, let's say, I don't know, uh, $5 million, you, you bought $5 million in, in assets over your life, which is a small number, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you want to do more yeah and that and that number when you pass on is at 12 million it's a Mm -hmm. the the value as appreciated and it's at 12 million you can transfer that property to your kids and not pay taxes on the transfer and your kids will get it at 12 at a 12 million dollar basis now think about that for a second they'll get it at 12 million which means they can sell it the very next day for 12 million and not pay a penny in taxes because that is their basis their basis is 12 million now yeah. And the difference between the 5 million and the 12 million in this example. Yeah. I'm sure over the life of the individual they've depreciated the pretty asset, much all those assets. like yeah. all of it, right? And he doesn't have to pay that back. He or she will not have to pay that depreciation back. Because that, that is She dies with the person.
0: That's that's so incredible. So now oh my goodness, there was so much great information right there and so That's kind of where I was hoping that was going to go is, again, you don't pay taxes on that hypothetical $7 million appreciation by holding on to that real estate and passing it down to your heirs. And now they don't have that tax burden. And, of course, that number changes, like Jose was saying, with every president, that kind of changes. But for right now, that's the number. And so that's a huge benefit. Another thing that you mentioned upon in that that I wanted to point out was the loans or taking money against the asset because that is not income. So you do not pay taxes on taking out money. And that's how so many of my investor clients that I work with play this game. And so it's so important for you to know people like Jose that can guide you through these steps because we're not talking about small money here. We are talking about large amounts of money that you can save and keep in your own pocket so you can continually play this game of growing that portfolio.
1: There's so much you can do. I mean, in terms of tax planning, I mean, you wanna get your family involved in your business. You wanna get your kids involved in the business. Because now you can pay them for helping you out you know cleaning the property cutting the grass things like that and now you're you're paying them at a lower tax bracket right so if you're in a 35 percent tax bracket and you're paying them up to 12 i forget the changes every year twelve thousand dollars around the first twelve thousand dollars you don't pay taxes on so you're kind of like shifting your money to your kids where they don't pay taxes and then you get a you get a deduction on your on your side so there's so much you can do in terms of planning when, when you have a business when you're in real estate Another one is, you know, buying real estate under your self-directed Roth IRA. That is, that is a popular one lately. I mean, a lot of my clients are doing it. I have a self-directed Roth IRA. I lend money out of it to some of my clients or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it's where you buy real estate and when you sell the real estate, the profits that you get from the real estate are not, are not taxable. There's some exceptions, right? I mean, if there's a loan involved, there's some exceptions there, but, uh, you know if you lend money out of your Roth IRA let's say that you you're getting 15% back that interest that you're getting back into your Roth IRA is not taxable so that's a, a good way to grow your retirement fund tax-free you know self-directed Roth IRA instead of investing your money in the in the stock market Wall Street which you don't know which way is gonna go which year right now you're investing in something you know let's say you know real estate Invest in real estate in your self directed IRA I had a conversation with a buddy of mine now uh, Mark Kohler uh, recently, we were talking about investing, um, investing in cattle, right? We're, you know, we're into ranching and, you, can uh-huh. buy cattle, you know, cattle in your Roth IRA and make money, uh, you know, grow your IRA that way. You can-, you can invest in anything you want. I mean, you know, anything that you understand, if you're in the business that you understand, uh, you, you can invest in that. So there's so many ways that you can save money in taxes and, and, and grow your, your portfolio and, you know, Get your family involved so that you can, uh, you can you can get your kids involved so they they start under understanding the value of business and the value of saving money and taxes. It's such a such a wonderful thing.
0: That is amazing. So yeah. in that example, with the children, do they have to then be employees of the company or do you ten ninety nine them? How would you recommend somebody? Yeah.
1: try would- to take. It's, uh depending on the entity that you're using so if it's a sole proprietorship it would be a, a w2 mm-hmm. uh and because if they're the children are under 18 there is no there is no taxes that have to be withheld no social security no medicare uh if it's an s corporation it's a little different you you do it through w2 uh a sal- uh, uh, payroll again but the social security and medicare do have to be withheld so it's a little different. Gotcha. but still beneficial yeah the the business experience of having your kids learning the business is the benefit in itself. The tax benefit is just a gravy. Yeah,
0: no, that's what I've been trying to educate my kids on is this is the best way to generate long-term wealth is by getting into real estate investing. And that's why I did a podcast, a solo podcast episode on the three benefits of investing in real estate. And I didn't even mention the tax advantages. So I'm so glad you're here to really set the record straight in terms of all of these benefits. Man, I cannot believe how quickly this time is going. I feel like I could ask you another three hours worth of questions. Right. But I wanted to get back to uh, so some some of the people that I work with, um, one of them might be a full-time like flipper or wholesaler. And they want to partner up with somebody who has a, a career, but maybe they're providing the financing for the transactions or things like that. How would you recommend they set up an entity to protect, I guess, both parties, but also still try to maximize their tax?
1: savings? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think that's going to depend on the relationship. Right. Um, How close the individuals are. I mean, they could do a partnership. One of them could be a silent partner. Um, Or instead of doing a partnership, the person who has a career and not in real estate, because real estate is a career, right? So somebody else in another career that's just putting the money in, um, they can do it as a loan. They can have a loan agreement and they would agree on a percentage that he would get back uh, as interest. So, multiple ways of doing it. It's just a, a matter of, what feels right for that that relationship. Interesting, okay, yeah. no, that's... And then um,
0: do you have any thoughts or suggestions on setting up any type of trust to hold the properties in or is setting up an
1: LLC? Yeah, I mean, I could I could tell you, that, as I said earlier, I can't give you legal advice, but yeah, I, yeah. I can tell you what I do. So I have a trust, I have a revocable trust that owns everything I owe, right? Now, uh, I also own real estate under LLCs. So my LLCs own my real estate, my PA owns my firm and my trust owns everything. So my name is removed from everything. So if you were to look up, you know, Jose Ramirez, real estate assets, you wouldn't find anything because my name is not on anything, which is a, is a great way to keep your, keep yourself anonymous. Um, it doesn't give you, my understanding is that it doesn't give you any asset protection. It just gives you the trust. is just really for estate planning purposes. It gives you a clean, something happens to you, God forbid. Uh, it gives your family a clean guide on what's going to happen with the assets. How are they going to get it? How are they going to be distributed? So you don't have to go to a probate court on it. Um, now another strategy that I use, I like Wyoming LLCs. I use Wyoming's for, as a, as a, uh, holding company. Now my Wyoming LLC owns multiple LLCs in multiple states where my real estate is, right? So that kind of gives me the true anonymity, because Wyoming doesn't report who owns the the entity publicly, right? There's no public information there, so that's nice, right? It gives you nice anonymity. The LLC, for instance, my LLC in North Carolina is owned by my Wyoming LLC, which uh, nobody knows who owns, so it's completely, you know, anonymous. Yeah. Um that but it's it's nice. No uh, that's a strategy that I use. Um some of my clients use it as well, but I, I like that strategy. And definitely the trust, it's a must have if you have children, in my opinion. If you have life insurance, you know, in my opinion, you should you should have a trust involved. No, no,
0: that's uh that's incredibly helpful and uh yes. We are not um legal advisors but was giving recommendations based upon our experiences and what we do but please consult a re- legal professional before setting up any of these entities but we know for sure what jose does which is he is a tax strategist for real estate investors and one of the top in the nation so Please, guys, sign up for that free webinar. He's giving such great advice and information to you free of charge. And you can always reach out to him as well to get connected and get more information so that he can save you money and set you up so that in the future, you're in the best position to capitalize and not be giving away that money. So, Jose, um, I can't thank you enough for your time and for all of the information that you've given. For um, the listeners, what is something that maybe you get as a question from your clients or something that you hear frequently that I might not have asked that you think is valuable advice? Yeah. For?
1: No, yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, a, a lot of the, the questions that I get actually you touched on is, uh, yeah, good, good. How, how should I structure my business? I mean, should I, should I do an LLC for this? Should I do an S corporation for that? You know, so that, that's a, that's a, a big one that gets, you know, gets asked a lot. So yeah, understanding that you want to separate the passive from the non-passive, it's going to be huge separate the activities, separate entities for those one, may be an S corporation. The other one is definitely going to be a sole proprietor or, or a partnership if it's a passive activity, if it's holding assets. Um, So that's, you know, that's, that's- Yeah. No, that would- You know, if if you guys wanna get connected, I mean, I do tax tips on a regular basis on social media. You know, they can find me at uh, Chief Tax Strategist on uh, Instagram. I do stories and videos. I mean, you've seen the videos- Yes. The one minute videos on tax strategies. Um, And my, my webinar.
0: Yeah, join his webinar. He's on LinkedIn. He's on social media. Chief tax strategist is where you'll find Jose. So Jose, you shared with us about how to set up an entity, passive versus non-passive, depreciation benefits, tax benefits, how to organize doing even, working around that real estate professional status with short-term rentals, bonus depreciation. There was so much information in this episode. So guys and girls, if you found value in this, please leave a comment, provide your feedback, reach out to Jose and thank him for his time. Um, He doesn't have to do this, but he wants to provide the investors with more information so you can avoid the situation that he was initially in and so many people were in because they just don't know any better. So- Reach out to Jose. His links for social media and that webinar are down below. Make sure you sign up for that. And please give him a follow. He provides great content on a regular basis that most people would charge for, and he's giving it out for free. So follow Jose. And please, if you liked this episode, you found value in it, share it with somebody you know. This is definitely gonna help them save thousands if not more in taxes so um, i hope you guys found value in this Uh, for myself young lee jose thank you so much for being on the show and everybody thank you for listening please leave a comment a review that's what helps us get amazing guests like jose on the show to provide this value so until next time guys thank you so much for listening and watching We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. I truly respect your time, so I hope this was valuable to you. And if you're a new listener, then thank you for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links, and show notes on our Facebook group, Chicago Business Review. Just go to Facebook and search Chicago Business Review. So that you can find out all the latest info on future podcasts, get all the show notes and network with other highly successful and driven entrepreneurs and professionals in Chicago. Also, be sure to contact me while you're over there and share any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations you have as well. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.